everybody. This is Cynthia Barnes back with another episode of Unstoppable with Cynthia Barnes. And today my guest is Carol Mahoney. She is the founder of Unbound Growth. She's a sales coach for Harvard's Entrepreneurial MBA program, author of the upcoming book, Buyer First, How to Sell the Way Your Customers Want to Buy. And if there's ever a need for that book, it is now. Carol, how are you doing? I'm doing fabulous. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, the pleasure is mine. So how are things up in Maine today? Oh, things in Maine are jumping. It's uh, finally summertime, although it's, we've got a heat wave like the rest of the country right now, um, which, you know, there's a saying here in Maine is that you can always find fault in the weather. So, you know, wait five minutes, it'll change kind of a thing. But absolutely, I'm a big, I'm a big outdoors person. So I live in Maine. I hike, I bike, I garden here. Uh, I love it. Oh, that's fabulous. That is fabulous. So when you were writing your book, which I can't wait for it to come out. What's the number one surprise that you found? So I'm actually writing it right now. I'm about halfway through. And I initially started writing it for self-employed business owners. When the pandemic happened, so many people left corporate, not by choice. And as a result, started their own businesses, which is exactly what happened to me 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, Essentially, this is a book I wish I had 20 years ago when I started my business. And yes. I made an assumption, which are always dangerous, that people who were in sales in corporate and went and started their own businesses had a leg up, like they had an advantage in sales because they already understood how sales work. They have experience in how sales works. And I thought, well, these are going to be some great people that I can include some stories in from the book, some of their lessons learned as they became business owners. And as I started talking with some of them, They struggled with sales just as much as a business owner who had never been in sales before because it's a different beast. It is a different idea. It is a different concept when you're selling someone else's services, someone else's products. Then when you make the shift to selling yourself, selling your own services, selling your own products, that dynamic really threw people off. Like they they didn't know how to handle the the imposter syndrome, the self-doubt, the confidence. Am I doing the right thing? Am I pricing this right? Am I in the right market? All of the same struggles that new business owners had, they had as well, even though they understood how sales works. Uh, So that was one of the things that was a really big surprise for me and made me dig a little bit deeper into kind of the psychology behind entrepreneurship and business ownership and how that affects us in sales. Thank you so much for saying what affects me. And I'm going to talk about me for just a moment, because I always thought when I started in a WSP, it is a, it is an organization there. I was always told there's two functions in a company, someone to create it and someone to sell it. My mindset was, I already know how to sell. So I've got 50% of the battle won. That is malarkey. And I'm glad you called BS on it. Thank you. Thank you for saying what I've been trying to say for years. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So what do business owners need to understand first and foremost about the sales process that sales professionals who work for another company already know, but business owners need to be reminded of or introduced to? So one of the things that I talk about a lot is our mindsets towards sales. Yeah. When I started my business 20 years ago, people ask me, how did you end up getting into sales and sales coaching and training? And I tell them I I got into it kicking and screaming the whole way. Because in my mind, sales was, you know, the used car salesman, the aggressive, pushy, manipulative tactics that you had to be that kind of person to be successful in sales. And Mm -hmm. what a lot of business owners don't realize, they try everything. They're reading all of the books, they're going to all of the trainings, they're listening to all of the podcasts, trying to glean some hacks, some tips, some things that they can try, start doing right now to start getting more customers because that's their biggest problem. And what they don't realize is that it's their mindset towards sales that's actually getting in their way of executing on things that they probably already know to do. But when they get in that moment, that mindset, those beliefs, that attitude towards sales gets in their way. And what I did when I started my business was, even though I hated sales, for lack of a better word, I wanted nothing to do with it. I had to feed my family. I had to pay my mortgage. And so I had to figure out a way to do it, even though I didn't like it. 
And what happened was because my mindset and model of sales was this pushy, aggressive, manipulative salesperson, I bit the bullet and started doing those things. I was modeling my behavior after what I believed a successful salesperson would be. And guess what? It didn't work (laughs) because I was trying to be something one that I wasn't, but I was also following a model that unbeknownst to me also doesn't work. Like business Mm. owners are looking to the sales industry to try and educate them on sales. But what they don't realize is that the sales industry is also still trying to figure it out. That's why year after year, we only have about half of salespeople that are actually making quota because this mindset towards sales is prevalent. Even if those people who are already in sales, we have these beliefs about sales that get in our way of doing the actions that we know to do in order to sell better with our customers. Yes. Yes. So you talk about selling the way your customer wants to buy, and that is loaded. Could you unpack that for me? Yeah. So we often think of sales as something that we do to other people. I'm going to sell you on this idea. Mm -hmm. Nobody likes to be sold to, though. People like to buy. People like to solve their problems, but they don't want to be sold to. And so when we think about selling Mm -hmm. the way that our customers want to buy, it's we have to be thinking of selling as something that we do with them as a problem we solve with them not as a i'm going to t- i'm going to preach this teach this pitch this to you it's more of a collaboration where we ask a lot of questions that are around the buyer's mindset towards their problem about what is it that they've tried already what do they think a solution should look like and work like and what is it about this particular solution that's going to work for them and what isn't going to work for them it's really about collaborating with them so that you're designing solutions together instead of trying to convince them why they should believe what you say and what you should do it's more of an interaction that goes back and forth that helps you to devise a solution that is for the best interest of the buyer so asking questions that are not about you or your product, but about the buyer's pains and problems and the impact of those things. That's how we sell the way that people want to buy. The neuroscience and psychology tells us that when people are asked about what their opinions on things are and what they think things should work, it actually lights up the dopamine in our brains. We love Mm -hmm. giving our opinions of things. We love talking about what we think. And if we can, as sellers, understand that dynamic when we're having conversations with our buyers, Mm -hmm. buyers will actually enjoy talking with us. I mean, there's a Mm -hmm. lot of more things that come with that, but essentially selling is a collaboration that we do with our buyers so that we can solve problems, so that we can make the world a better place. It's not something we do to them in trying to get them from here to there. You're right. You're absolutely right. So when does the book come out? Because I want a copy. (laughs) It's slated to come out fall of next year. So we're halfway through the writing now. We're going through developmental edits, probably the beginning of next year. I have to decide on which publisher I'm going to go with, but either way, come hell or high water, it's coming out next fall. Good for you. I know that there's going to be someone, maybe this is just in my house, who wants to get the secrets before the book comes out because time is of the essence. What do you have in place within your company that can help business owners sell better, more effectively, and um, basically move the needle? There's a couple of things. So every month I'm offering uh, science-based sales tips, I call them, in my monthly newsletter. So that's where I drill down what is the latest data and science say about selling and how do we collaboratively sell with our buyers using that. And then I'm also this fall going to be putting together a workshop specifically for business owners that might want to get featured in the book that are going to actually go through all of the steps in the book just like I've done with clients for the last 10 to 15 years. So I'm going to be offering that in the fall for select business owners that want to be part of a pilot program as well, which I'm really excited to launch. That is exciting, getting the data from the the series to bolster your book. That's genius. Yeah. Well, I'm that taking the idea of collaboratively selling, and I'm also doing that as collaboratively you know, writing a book, because I don't want to just write it from my perspective. I want the perspective of those that are in it today, right now. Yes. Yes. And selling is constantly evolving. So I think that getting the perspective of what's going on today, what's relevant today is going to help you sell even more. So I love that idea. Yeah. I love that idea. Yeah. And it is always evolving, which is why 
I think a lot of business owners struggle because they're trying to find the perfect process or the perfect pitch or the perfect mm-hmm. message so that they can find yes. the buyer. And selling is an experiment. It's one great mm-hmm. big experiment where we try, we reiterate, we try again. And so this workshop, the masterclass, the book, it's really about helping people to design their frameworks and their own experiments to be able to mm-hmm. collaborate sell with their individual buyer. Because the, the way you sell with your customer is not going to be the same way your competition sells with your customer. You've got to figure out what your special sauce is. What is your special sauce? My husband would say it's because I'm a book nerd that I must, that's my special sauce. Like I, if, if you, he, he's like, what does Carol do all the time? Carol is constantly reading. And so for me, I love being a student of sales and psychology and you know what? Human beings are just such an interesting species of creatures that I just am obsessed with understanding how we work and how we think. And taking that sort of curiosity, if you will, and being a student of people and of sales, mm-hmm. taking that and then being able to help people apply to how do they change their behaviors? Yes. You know, a lot of the things that I'm digging up are, you know, why is it that we set these New Year's Eve resolutions, for example, and only about 40% of the time do we actually make that resolution? How do we make behavioral change stick? Yes. That's kind of, I always look at the root cause of something like going to a doctor, a good doctor is going to ask you about your symptoms. And before they prescribe you anything, they're going to want to understand what the root cause of something is. And that's kind of how I operate with sales is I want to act like a doctor who's doing their due diligence, finding out the root cause of a problem before we try and diagnose and treat. So I'm sure that you've read a ton of books in preparation and in research for your book. What are the top three books that if you had to recommend to someone who is a business owner, they're trying to nail down a process, what three books would you recommend? So right now, the number one book on my list is uh, called How to Change by Katie Milkman. She's a Wharton professor. Uh, She's done work with Angela Duckworth, who wrote Grit. Grit. And she's written and has some great research about how we set goals, how we get our goals jumpstarted, how we keep ourselves motivated. How do we keep going along the path of behavioral change to make it stick? So I love her book. It's not a sales book, but it is a book for anyone who's trying to make some kind of a change in their life, which... That's what sales is about for a business owner. Yes. The, the next one that I would recommend and highly recommend for everyone who's going into sales is The Science of Selling by David Hoffeld. He really inspired me to dig even deeper into the science and psychology of sales for my own book. Because one of the things that I find with sales is, is you ask one salesperson or one sales leader about their best practices, and it usually starts with, well, when I was at this company. Or when I did this here. And so a lot of the things that we're learning in sales is based off of the experience of one person or one person with a limited, you know, experience. And so having the understanding of scientifically proven concepts and applying those to sales, I think it's so key for us to be able to change the overall perception of sales from this negative, pushy, aggressive to this collaborative, helpful, servant kind of a salesperson. And then the third book, oh gosh, this is going to be hard for me to choose. I think that I would recommend More Sale, More Sales in Less Time by Jill Conrath because oh, yes, such a good book, not only because she ties in science and neurology and all of those other things into it, but as a business owner, one of your greatest challenges is how do I prioritize my time? How do I keep myself mm-hmm. focused? And yes. that is a great book for understanding how our brains are wired to distract us all the dings and notifications that we get on social media. How do we focus on the things that are important to us reaching our goals? And that book was essential for me to sort of work out some of the kinks in my own process. Absolutely. Jill Conrath is amazing. She is. Yes, she is. She is. Do you think that being a woman in a sales industry has been a help or a hindrance? 10 years ago, it was definitely a hindrance. Now, I think it's more of a help because of some of the work like you've been doing, women's sales pros, Lori Richardson. There's so many people out there that are raising the visibility and level of women in sales. And there's so much data now that shows that how strong of a salesperson women are and can be, how Mm -hmm. much more quota they reach, how much more empathy, how much more active listening skills that they have, which are so crucial to sales success. So 
when I first started my business and when I first started in sales, it was definitely a hurdle to overcome. A lot of times I felt like I had to pretend that I wasn't a woman <laughs> in order to be heard. And it was very weird and uncomfortable and I wasn't really sure what to do. But now it's kind of, uh, I, I don't want to say it's accepted, but I think it's much more revered, much more respected than it was before, where it's not that we're trying to now turn women into men in sales, mm -hmm. which not a good idea. No. But now it's more of a how do we have men and women in sales learn from each other? And I think that's the place that we all really need to get to. So being a woman in sales right now is a huge opportunity, especially if you're a woman right now where you have a family or you need a flexible schedule. Sales is the best career for that. Yes. Absolutely. Because it affords you that freedom and flexibility like no other career. Yeah. And yeah. the thing I love about sales, one of the many things now, is that your effort is directly related to your results. Yes. And there's not very many other careers where you can see that direct link and impact and how that impacts your own income and your own confidence. So it's a huge opportunity for women. What is the number one mistake that business owners make in the sales process? They start talking about themselves so much. <laughs> I mean, I say business owners, but that's really every salesperson, right? Because that's like, again, back to that. When we talk about ourselves, it releases dopamine. And so it feels good to us. So we immediately end as business owners. We're so excited about whatever it is that we've created, whatever service or product that we feel is going to change the world that we can't wait to tell everybody about it. And so we pitch slap people and product slap people. And it's exactly the opposite of what buyers want because they all sounds the same to them. They don't sure. care about your product or service until they understand how it solves their problem. Absolutely. Tell us about the worst sales call you've ever had as a business owner. Oh boy. Uh, I remember one deal that I was working was a relatively, it was a mid-sized company and I was having a really hard time getting through to the decision maker. I was working with the point of contact who was the director in the company, but I really needed to talk to the CEO because they were the only ones that were going to get this to go through. And so I had this great idea that I was just going to cold call the CEO right off of the bat. And I called and he actually answered the phone and I froze. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to say. I was like, uh, 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 I, I was stumbling over my words until I finally spit it out. And he said, yeah, I've got so-and-so handling that. Thanks for the call. And he hung up and I never got the deal. Ouch. <laughs> Ouch. Was, what do you do when he picks up the phone? And I totally froze and I totally just like I don't know. I just stopped in my tracks right there. And I see it happen with salespeople that I coach now that I'm like, okay, so what are you going to do when he actually answers the phone? And they're like, you, th you think uh, that might happen? Yeah. <laughs> so if you had to tell yourself how to prepare for that, what words of advice would you give yourself so that it didn't happen again? I would say practice, drill, rehearse, practice, drill, rehearse every possible scenario of what they could say or what they could do. And starting it from the easiest, like he's so excited to hear from you, all the way to the most difficult where he hangs up with you on you in three seconds. But like anything, the more we practice it, the more confidence we get, the less nerves bundle up within us because we've been through this, we've drilled it, we've run it. And most of the time it happens and I find for myself now, the more I practice and rehearse, I'm so amped up in my mind as to how well I want it to go. And I practice and I practice and I practice and I get into it. And now I find, you know what? I got this. This is, yeah. this is a smooth transition that you're running through it all. And people are like, oh, you must have done this a million times. I'm like, nope, this is the first time. But I ran through it a lot before that. So if I had to go back, I would tell myself to practice it even more until the nerves were less that I had prepared for the idea that he might actually answer the phone. And I think the universe responds to that. When you are prepared for an opportunity, the universe says, okay, she's ready. I'm going to go ahead and put that in her lap. When we are unprepared, we just put it out there and the, the negative vibes just repel. Yeah. And I, I also think too, like the universe also knows when we're being arrogant, we need to be taken down a notch and yes. we haven't practiced and prepared. And that's when we fall flat on our faces and the universe goes, hey, maybe you should practice more next time. Yes. Yes. <laughs> There's an old adage that says it's better to be prepared for an opportunity than to have one presented and you are unprepared. So exactly. yes, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. So my next question is, re revolves around 
what advantages you think women have in the sales process? I think the biggest advantage that we have is that, and I, I say this for most of the women that I know, it's not everyone, obviously, you can't speak in generalities about everyone. But one of the things that I've observed is that women are really good listeners, for the most part, like we all have our moments where we don't. But for the most part, I have found that women are really good at being active listeners, because there's so much in tune with what's going on with the other person. And they want to be in tune with what's going on in the person versus just kind of like plowing through it. So I think that's one advantage that women have is their ability to empathize, actively listen. The other thing that I've noticed is that women aren't afraid of asking questions. They're not afraid of, for the most part, admitting that they don't know something. A lot of the men that I deal with when I'm coaching, sometimes the, the ego gets in the way and that can mm -hmm. happen to all of us. But, you know, men, I think that they have this pressure that they need to know what they need to do, what they need to be on their game. They need to be the top dog. They can't show any weaknesses or, you know, that makes them, un, you know, unmanly or something. I don't know. But for women, it's like they're not starting from that premise. We've had to fight to get here. And a lot of times it's because we have been observant, because we've listened, because we've asked the right questions. And most of the women that I know, and I include myself in this, is that we are avid students because we mm -hmm. know that we have to be so much more to be heard. We're willing to put in that extra work to make sure that they were there. So it's interesting to me that women a lot of times won't apply for jobs that they don't check off all of the boxes for. Yeah. But that's what makes them so awesome is because they'll do whatever they have to do to make sure they can check off all of those boxes. Sure. That's an advantage that we have. And I feel that is going to help us to change the dynamic of women in the workplace altogether. Absolutely. So as a business owner, and I'm sure you are still prospecting and selling, what three things must you walk away with in a sales conversation? I mean, obviously, depending on what type of sales conversation it is, whether you're in the beginning and you're just getting introduced in discovery, or if you're in the middle of it and you're uncovering their compelling reasons to make a change and the cost of consequences of not doing that, mm -hmm. in most any sales conversation, you want to have an understanding of what is the agenda and goal of the other person. What do they want to learn? What do they want to accomplish in this call, in this meeting? What are they hoping to walk away with? Because if you know what they want, you can customize and you can you can service that particular need in order to then move it on to whatever the next step is, which is the next thing is there has to be a next step, whether it's a agreement to meet again at a certain date or agreement to go back and forth on certain topics by email to get to a certain point, an agreement to involve someone else. There has to be a next step involved or it's probably not going to happen. And I think that the third thing that you want to have from any type of an engagement is understanding what is it about this that is so important for the other person. So we start off by understanding what is it that they want to get from it, but why is this so important for them right now? Why do anything right now? Why not wait a year? Why have you waited as long as you have until this point to fix this particular thing? I call it uncovering the compelling reason to buy. Why would you make any kind of a change now? Because change is hard. And mm -hmm it's scary and it's risky. And if you don't understand why they're willing to make the change, then the change isn't going to happen. So if you had to do it all over again, being a business owner or going into corporate, which would you choose? Definitely being a business owner without a doubt. Why is that? Um, I grew up in a family of business owners. I grew up in a family where you were the one that did everything. I got the idea of a nine to five job was a foreign concept in my family. I don't know that okay. anyone in my family actually had a nine to five job. So for me, it's, it's family tradition. Um, it's in my DNA, I guess you could say, but I think the other part of it is, and, and this was as a, as a mom, I first started my business when my kids were in grade school. And mm. it's interesting because I started my business in our last great recession, the 2007, 2008 crash of our economy. I was laid mm -hmm. off from my corporate job, but I had gotten that corporate job with the goal in five years to start my own business. I just wanted to get some additional experience in larger corporations first. And mm -hmm. when I start, when I got fired from my job, which is the most devastating day of my adult life, but also the best day of my adult life, I remember thinking, you know, the only reason I haven't done this till now mm -hmm. is because of the security of the paycheck that's gone. Mm -hmm. 
Now it's totally on me. And the thing of it was, is that even before I left corporate, I wanted the flexible work schedule. I wanted to be able to bring my kids to school and pick them up and do their activities with them, which I couldn't do in a corporate job because I had to be there from nine to five, which was really eight to six because of travel and everything else. And so it left a big space for me in being able to be with my kids and with my family. I thought starting my own business would give me the flexibility. Didn't realize that I would be working 70 hours a week and also be missing out on a lot of those things. But once things got established, I was able to bring my kids to school. I was able to work from anywhere. I was able to Mm -hmm. really have control over my own calendar and how I spent my time and who I spent my time with. And that's something in corporate that I never would have been able to have. You're absolutely right. Being a business owner is the most rewarding job for most people, most rewarding role that they've ever had. It's also the most challenging and the hardest, Mm -hmm. but somehow the rewards outweigh the detriments. Right. How do you get through those days when you're rejected, when your sales proposal falls through, they say no, or just the stuff hits the fan? How do you keep going? The way that I've learned to keep going, because those things would derail me. I would be like, I'm never going to get any more clients. This is never going to work. Like you, you kind of get into this all or nothing thinking sometimes as a business owner, when things start to go bad, it's like the sky is falling. Everything is a mess. You're a failure. There's no way you're going to get out of this. You're just not good enough. You're just not smart enough, blah, 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 blah. And what I learned is that as quickly as things can go sideways, they can go back up again. The next day, you can get an email from a client that wants to do more work with you or a referral or an introduction from someone. So over the last 15 years, I've learned that as quickly as things go south, they can also go back north again. You know, one of the books that I I would recommend if I could put a fourth on the list would be Grit by Angela Duckworth because of resilience. Like as a business owner, the more you can develop your resilience, that is what's going to see you through those ups and those downs. It's like the stock market. If you watch the stock market every day, you're going to give yourself a heart attack. But if you look at it over a period of time, a week, two weeks, a month, you notice that those ups and downs, yes, they happen, but overall the trend is going up. Being a business owner is very similar in that way. If you can remember in the back of your mind that what goes down must come back up again. I know that's reversed, but that's how I think. (laughs) Um, And so that's how you kind of have to think with grit as well, is that when, and and even too, when things are up, you got to know that they're going to go back down again. So when you get that big corporate check from the big client, don't spend it all, save it, put it in the bank for capital. (laughs) There's going to be the ups and downs. You're going to have to weather through them by remembering that nothing is permanent. Nothing. Nothing is permanent. You're right. And everything is cyclical. Everything. Yes. So I know you're working on the book. What comes after the book? Oh, you know, I hadn't thought of that yet. (laughs) No, actually, I I have thought of that. So I want to launch a course for business owners um, and coaching with it because that was the thing Mm -hmm. when I became a business owner, when I hired a sales coach for myself, it changed everything. And so I'm trying to, what I'm hoping to do is use this book to create a foundation for business owners to either find a coach on their own to help them through specific things or develop a program where more business owners can have access to -to one-to-one sales coaching. Because there's not a lot of people out there that do that for business owners right now. Right. That is my hope is that no one has to go through what I went through as a business owner when I first started my own business and my own mindset towards sales and the and the the stress that that caused me. Mm-hmm. I hope that after the book is launched, that there'll be a new wave of business owners who are confident in sales, that they're able to collaboratively sell with their buyers, and that there are a program that I've developed for them so that they can continue to do that. Ultimately, my goal is to be able to travel and speak and meet with business owners. I'd love to be able to teach this in universities because Mm. we're just starting to teach sales in universities. We don't necessarily teach business ownership in universities yet either. So I'd love to see the combination of the two in universities where, where business owners can go to get this education rather than relying on, you know, whatever snake oil salesman comes through that day. Right, right. What is your top or your favorite closing question? I have three. Okay. 
I call it the, the natural close. It comes from Dave Curlin's book, Baseline Selling. I think he calls it the inoffensive close. That at the end of a sales process, if you've done the job, if you've checked all of the boxes, you've collaboratively sold with your buyer, closing really just comes down to three questions. Do I understand everything that's happening in your world and in this problem? Do I know everything I should know? Do you believe that I can help you with it? And do you want my help? Mm. That's it. I love that. It's so simple. It is so simple. Could you repeat those again, please? So do you believe that I understand everything about your world and about the problems that you have right now? Do you believe that I have the ability or the solution to help? And do you want my help? Now, if anyone says, I don't know or no to any one of those questions, then you have to stop and go back and find out what is it that's missing? What do I need to know? What are you unsure of? On a scale of one to 10, where are you and what would make it a 10? And then you can, once you've gotten through those, re-ask the questions. And if you've gotten yeses, then you've got the deal. I love that. You are a wealth of knowledge. Who do you need to meet or be introduced to, to go to the next level? I would love to be introduced to someone who walks, works at Entrepreneur Magazine um, because it is one of the top magazines that business owners read. And to be able to get this wealth of knowledge in front of them, I think would be a game changer. Well, I believe in the power of the universe and the power of affirmation. So we're going to put it out there. Then we'll celebrate when it comes to fruition. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. If you could go back and tell your younger self anything at all, what would you tell your younger self? It doesn't matter what anybody thinks of you at all. Mm. How did you come to that? I came to that when I realized as a business owner that one of the things that was getting in my way of being an effective salesperson is that I was very worried about what people thought of me. Do they think mm-hmm. I'm smart enough? And, and, and it could be because I'd never been in sales. It could be because I was a woman in sales, but I was always worried what people would think, what they would say. And as a result, it affected my behavior towards them. And I would shy away from asking tough questions or challenging questions or pushing back when people were maybe thinking about something in a way that wasn't going to be helpful to them because I didn't want to upset them. Um, I mm-hmm. thought that if they don't like me, they won't buy from me. If, I, if they don't think I'm wonderful, then they're not going to buy from me. And what I realized is that it doesn't matter what they think of you. It doesn't matter if they like you. It only matters if they respect you and trust you. That's different mm-hmm. from liking someone. Now, you know, you, that doesn't mean that you can be a jerk to people and get away with it. But it does mean that like, it, it's kind of like having a weight lifted off of your shoulders when you can operate in a way that is true to yourself and not worried about what other people are going to think. Because I, I forget who it was that said it, but said, you know what, what other people think of you is really none of your business. None of your business. Not at all. And I love that you said that because everyone talks about... In sales, people buy from people they know, like, and trust. And you call BS on that. You say it's about respect and trust over the like. Mm-hmm. And that is a tweetable moment, as they say. Absolutely. Like people could start off by liking you. Like if I can get someone to smile or laugh in a discovery conversation, the conversation is going to flow so much easier. I'm not going to be pulling information mm-hmm. out of them. But if I, if I can't get beyond the liking me part, if I'm always worried about what they're going to think of me, then I'm not going to get to the part where I can ask mm-hmm. them challenging questions that get them to say, you know what, I hadn't thought of that or thought of it that way. Yeah. That's where you start to prove your competency. And that's how you start to build yes. trust. It has to move beyond that they like you to they believe that you're confident to that they can trust your expertise. If you just stay in the likable part, then you're never going to get to the other two. That's a chapter or a blog post or or something, but but you need to shout that for the people in the in the seats. Shout <laughs> Up in that the for the people. Yeah. Yes, in the nosebleed section because that's what everybody's taught. People buy from people they know, like, and trust. No, boo boo. It's about respect and trust. Trump likability. Absolutely. Yes. How did you become so wise, Carol? Lots of mistakes. Mm. <laughs> I mean, lots of mistakes. Like I told you about my worst sales call. There's probably uh, many more after that. And it's devastating sometimes to think of all of the mistakes that I've made and the lost opportunities, but they've made me so much smarter. They've made me dig deeper. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm not afraid to make the mistakes anymore because I know that there's going to be a way for me to learn from it and make me better than I was before. And 
you know, I have this sign behind me that says, when you trip in life, make it part of your dance. It's kind of my mantra because I'm always falling down. So I've got to make it look good. Like, yeah, I meant to do it that way. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, but it's, it's, I'm, it's the, the willingness to make mistakes. And, you know, my husband's like, are you, he, he's like, okay, just don't ask me any more questions. Cause I'm a huge person for asking questions. I'm like a four-year-old asking why all the time. Like, why does it work that way? Why can't it be this way? I think the not being afraid to make mistakes and the curiosity to understand how things work combined together uh, as my high school called me the hot nerd. Like I'm just a nerd. Nothing wrong with that. It has proven to be very, very helpful in your success. So when we talk about success and resiliency and adversity, we talked a little bit about your grit to, to uh, paraphrase Angela. Um, yeah. Do you ever feel like just throwing in the towel? Oh my gosh. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. So actually this happened to me yesterday. So I have a writing goal of a thousand words a day and every day, Monday through Friday. And last week I met the goal yesterday. It was just, I don't know what it was yesterday. It was allergies. I had a headache. I was tired. I couldn't get out of my own way. And I'm lucky if I got 50 words out. And I was just like, you know what? I'm putting it away for today. I'm going to start again tomorrow. And so those days happen. We have, Mm -hmm. we're going to have those ups and downs. And I think, you know, one of the things that I learned from Katie Milkman's book about how to change is that we need to give ourselves some flexibility. We're going to have off days and that's okay. Mm -hmm. If we are holding ourselves to this rigid conformity that we have to do this every day at the same time, then the one day that we don't is going to wreck the entire habit. So we have to be able to build in a little bit of flexibility into that. So yes, my goal is a thousand words a day. My goal for the week is 5,000. So that means I have to write 2,000 today or 1,500 today and 1,500 tomorrow. I give myself the flexibility, but I still have my daily goals that I'm shooting towards. And I got to tell you, like the days that I meet my daily goals, those are the best days. The days that I don't do hang on me a little bit. So that was what kind of compels me to make sure I do it the next day. Yes, yes. What are your top habits for success? Top habits for success. Number one is self-care. It's a lesson that I learned too late in life. I'm glad that I finally did. I think the pandemic brought it for foremost for me because I was 80 pounds overweight. I was had no energy. I had a lot of other things health-wise going on that were getting in the way of my success and performance in sales as well as in my business. Mm-hmm. And so I think as business owners, we have this you know, grind mindset that we've always got to be going, going, going. We've always got to be grinding it out, you know, every hour of every day of every minute. Mm -hmm. And the problem is, is that we are going to burn out and we're not going to be our best selves for the people that we're serving. And honestly, when you take time, like for 12 years, I didn't take a vacation for two years. I didn't take a single day off. Wow. And it was detrimental in my business. It was detrimental to me. Now I have a structure in my mornings. I get up, I have my coffee, I sit outside, I do my yoga outside, I do some work. And and so that morning routine of self-care sets the rest of the day up Mm. for me. And I'm able to accomplish so much more than if I had just got in and crammed it in. Because what would happen is that I'd spend, you know, I'd be up until midnight working and then I would sleep in the next day and then I would be scrambling through that day to get everything done and then the cycle would continue. So break the cycle of the grind Mm -hmm. and focus on self-care. That's number one. I think number two is being a real student of whatever it is that you're doing, whether it's in sales or in your particular industry. Once you get to the point where you think you've got it all figured out, that's when someone's going to come up and take your lunch. Absolutely. And I think number three is making myself accountable to other people. I out myself Mm -hmm. to people all the time. Like I have a book that's coming out next year and I'm talking about it now so that I am holding myself accountable to everybody else out there. So now everybody's asking me, so how's the book coming? How's the book coming? I'm posting it on social media. I wrote a thousand words today and this was it. These are the things that keep me going because I can't face everybody if I don't. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But, but it also aligns with what my personal goals are. So, you know, accountability is something that I do because I have the personal goals. I have a plan that's based off of cues and triggers of what I'm going to do when, and the accountability Mm -hmm. piece, it's, it's not just to out myself to people, to shame myself into doing it, but it's also building that support network of people that are going to give me specific feedback. I have a writing group that I'm a part of that gives me feedback, uh, an editor that gives me feedback, a sales coach that gives me feedback. I believe that we could all do with a coach and feedback at every point in our lives to come to that next level. 
Wow. Yeah, I, I'm reeling. I'm I'm literally reeling and taking notes. And I normally don't take notes on a podcast, but I'm taking notes because you've got a wealth of information and I'm just reeling. So you mentioned something about, and I'm paraphrasing here, discrimination and being overweight. Talk to me about that. So I had a rough childhood. And as a result of my rough childhood, I did not want to be in my physical body in any way. Like I was just someplace else all the time. I was never actually present in my own skin. I wasn't comfortable in my own skin. And because of the childhood that I had, I wasn't comfortable with attention either. So being overweight allowed me to actually blend into the background. Like mm. they really noticed me as much. Oh yeah. She's the heavy girl over there. You know, you know, she's, you know, I didn't gain a lot of attention that way. I didn't realize all of this until recently. And so for me, the, the, the sort of discrimination that happened was kind of like in the reverse by not taking care of myself and, and being as, as unhealthy and overweight as I was, I was kind of hiding. I was trying to hide from the spotlight and because I didn't have the confidence that I belonged there or whatever it might've been, but I just didn't feel comfortable in my own skin. And so I realized as I started going through the weight loss journey, like all of these other emotional things come up with it. Like it's all psychology, right? Like all of those outward things that we see all happen here first inside of our heads. And so I had to understand where that was coming from and why, why was I intentionally sidelining myself? Where was Mm -hmm. that coming from? Um, It was actually something I realized when I was doing public speaking training and I wanted to be able to influence other people. I wanted to make an impact on other people's lives and to put yourself on a stage like that in the spotlight. What I didn't realize is that it sh- everything shows, not just what you look like, but all of your emotions and your feelings mm-hmm. come out when you're on a stage like that. And mm-hmm. the struggles that I was having on stage were because of these psychological things happening. I didn't want to be in my own skin. I didn't want to be present in the moment. I was always somewhere else in my mind. And it came through on the stage as being inauthentic. And I didn't realize that. And so I started this sort of slow process of slowing down, being more mindful of what was going on. And that these all of these small little changes that I was making throughout started bringing up some of the emotional things that happened. And I started to understand where these things were coming from, where these triggers were coming from, you know, more mindset, belief, psychological work. And that helped me to understand how I was sidelining myself or allowing myself to be looked over because of it. So it was really pretty transformational for me to understand that. And I think that when you think about the ways that you sabotage yourself, where that comes from and why it happens is something that you want to definitely dig into because it's the thing that's probably going to inhibit you from reaching your full potential. Wow. Okay, Carol, I see that we're going to have to do two more sessions. (laughs) (laughs) Two more sessions. Oh my gosh. Because you're absolutely right. We do self-sabotage and and it shows up in so many different ways, outwardly, inwardly. So how did you start the transformation? I started the transformation by the idea of I wanted to have a fresh start. And this is actually something that Katie Milkman writes in her book, How to Change. She said, you know, one of the reasons why New Year's Eve resolutions happen is that we, when we want to make a behavioral change, it's easy for us to do so when we have the idea of fresh start because it gives us a clean slate. All of the past failures, all of the past beliefs are wiped away. And it's like you're brand new on this day, which is why New Year's Eve resolutions are so common and so popular. Sure. So for me, it was 2019, the fall of 2019, it was my birthday. And my son said to me, I really want to go hike all of the national parks. Well, there's 64 national parks. Wow. And I was having a hard time keeping up with him just on the local hikes that we were doing around here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my son's 24, 25, and we, we still have a relationship where we like to do things together. And I thought to myself, I don't want to miss out on that. And I'm tired of feeling like crap. I'm tired of being tired. I'm tired of, you know, the aches and pains that you get when you're in your forties. And I thought, well, you know what, I'm going to try to lose the weight again, because I've obviously tried throughout my life. And Mm -hmm. I saw this ad for Noom, which said how to make weight loss stick. 
Yes. And it triggered me because that's what I do with salespeople. Like, how do I get your training to stick? How do I get you to change your behaviors? And it was yeah. always easier to do it for somebody else than it is for yourself. Sure. And yeah. when I saw the ad, I was like, all right, I'll give it a shot. So I signed up for it on my birthday. And as I started going through the app, they give you a lot of information and research. And the research they were giving me was the exact same research that I use with sellers to help them break through their quotas. And this little bell went off in my head. It's like, well, if it can work for the salespeople, that it could probably work for you too in this arena. Mm -hmm. So that's what I started doing is I started identifying some small changes. I was making small changes every day until one day I realized that I'd lost 70 pounds. Ooh. And I was like, where did that happen? And I mean, I wasn't traveling. So I had no clothes. Like I was living in sweatpants and yoga pants all the time. So I didn't even know what size I was anymore. And I just, and it just started, it started to snowball. It was like this snowball effect of behavioral change where I started making small changes and rewards and reevaluating how I thought about things and, and exercise. And this was the biggest change for me was I was always so focused on how things looked like in sales. Mm -hmm. We're always so focused on what the outcome of something is, right? Right. But we don't really necessarily focus on the work itself, the process to get there. Right. I was so focused on being a size eight that whenever the scale went up, I got so discouraged that I gave up yes. because I was focused on the outcome mm -hmm. versus being focused on the process. This time I was focused more about how I felt. How do okay. I feel after eating this particular thing? How do I feel after doing this yoga routine? How do I feel while I'm going for this walk? And instead focused on the process and focused on the daily work the results happened on their own. They didn't happen because I was so focused on being a size eight. They didn't happen because I was so focused on eating only 1200 calories a day. They happened because I was focused on how I felt and how the choices I made and how those made me feel. I think we can apply this to sales in the same way. If we focus on the other person, we focus on the conversation we're having right now, the results that we seek will happen. That is beautiful because if we actually, but that would require us to be present Exactly. Yeah. Which that is why self-care is so important because mm -hmm. if we're not fully present with ourselves, we can't be fully present with anyone else. That is so true. That is so true. Carol, our time together is almost up. You know, I know that my listeners are as enthralled with you as I am, and they're going to want more of you. How do they get more of you? They can find me on LinkedIn, uh, LinkedIn backslash in Carol Mahoney. Um, I'm pretty active there usually. Yes. Um, you can also go to my website, which is unboundgrowth.com. Uh, I have a blog there. You can reach out to me directly there. There are a ton of resources there, worksheets, you know, goal setting, how to ask layered questions that we talked about. There's all kinds of resources there as well. Amazing. Absolutely Amazing. So to my listeners, Carol has dropped pearls of wisdom, as I like to call them. So she mentioned three books that you must pick up today. She mentioned three things that you must know from your prospects during the sales process. She mentioned the baseline close and three closing questions that you must ask. And then lastly, we talked about her top habits for success. I'd like for you to send Carol a connection request on LinkedIn and tell her of all the pearls that you gleaned from this interview, which one stuck out the most. And then I want you to copy me on it at hello at nawsp.org and let me know which one rang true for you. Let me know. Let's have this conversation. Let's continue this conversation. Carol, you have been just truly a delight. Thank you so much for pouring into us. Your energy is amazing. It is contagious. I am proud to know you and um, I look forward to crossing paths again soon. Thank you. Thank you so much. I absolutely had a blast. So I just had an amazing episode with Carol Mahoney and I am still reeling. I took three pages of notes and that is something I've never done with a podcast guest you know, being a business owner, a founder of NAWSP, I thought, just like she said, that I had it in the bag as far as I know how to sell, so I should be able to run a successful business. But that is so far from the truth, from reality. So when she actually exposed and mentioned these are the struggles that business owners have with selling, it confirmed and affirmed what I had felt. And for that, I am so grateful. I love the fact that she mentioned that her, her top four books um, for business owners, she mentioned the inner critic 
And every time I hear someone talk about their inner critic, it reminds me that I'm not the only one whose inner critic sits on her right shoulder, whispering sweet nothings in her ear. And again, you know, being around like-minded individuals, there's power in that. There is power in that. We talked about practice, drill, rehearse. And if there's there's one thing I know for sure is that if you are not prepared for an opportunity when it is presented to you, you will botch it because you can't recognize it. So you've got to be prepared for what the universe is going to give you. And the universe has all types of goodness. But if you are not prepared to receive it, then you will miss it because you can't recognize it. Those three things that she's got to know in her sales conversations what do they want to get? What are the next steps? And why is this important now? Those are qualifying questions and they help you in that sales process. Business owners, you have got to get a sales coach. You have to. We all know that success is not created in a vacuum. You've got to get help. And even those of us with 20 years of sales experience still need coaches because we can't do it all. We cannot do it all. Those three closing questions from the book, Baseline Close, I'm picking that book up today. When Carol said that respect and trust are more important than likability, I wanted to stand up and raise the roof because everybody talks about you've got to be likable. People buy from people they like, know, and trust. No, honey, they buy from people that are competent enough to help them with their problems. We have access to the world's biggest encyclopedia on google.com and it fits right in our palm. Your customers have the same access. 70 to 80% of their knowledge comes before they even talk to you. They don't wanna like you. It would be nice if they did. They want a professional problem solver. So earn that respect, gain their trust by being competent. And we all know that competence leads to confidence. She talked about her morning routine. We talked about burnout. We talked about being accountable to other people. And if there's one thing I got from this, it is that you must take care of yourself because if you don't, you will self-sabotage and that self-sabotage and how you talk to yourself manifests its way through every single pore that you have and people can smell it. So you've got to take care of yourself because it reeks so when we self-sabotage, it shows up like sidelining ourselves and not getting out of life what we deserve because we kick our own ass. So I'm asking you not to do that. Do whatever it takes to show up as your best self. If you need help, if you need a therapist, if you need a tribe, get them. Don't go through life expecting less than what you deserve because you're too afraid to ask for help. Life is short. Life is fleeting. You deserve, yes, you deserve all of the goodness that life has to offer. And you deserve nothing less. So focus on self. Take Carol's words of wisdom to heart. And let me know what changes you are going to implement as a result of listening to us today. Thanks again for listening. I'm Cynthia, and I will see you next week on Unstoppable with Cynthia Barnes. <laughs>